If you Google worldometer, you'll find a constantly moving graphic of the latest world population numbers. As of about 9.30 a.m. this morning, there were 7,766,405,107 people in the world. Today, there were already 65,201 deaths and 155,353 births. You know, it's hard for us to even comprehend numbers like that, isn't it? But each one of those 7,766,000,000 people is a person, just like you, with hopes and dreams and needs and desires. And the mind-boggling thing is that God cares about each one of them in a way that we just cannot even fathom. God loves each person, and he desperately wants to have a relationship with each one. Last week, we began this series called The Jesus Mission, in which we are examining accounts from Jesus' ministry that reveal what his mission was in coming to earth. Today, I'm going to give you the big idea right up front, and the big idea is this. The mission of Jesus was people. The mission of Jesus was people. Let's take a look in John 135, and we're going to find out just, uh, just how that is expressed in these verses. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, in last week's message, we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist and, and in particular, how it paved the way for Jesus. We saw that Jesus came to John to get baptized and as he began to fulfill his mission, we saw that a key part of Jesus' mission was calling people to repentance and baptism. 
Well, today's passage picks up the story the very next day. We see Jesus passing by this place where John was baptizing, and John says to two of his own disciples who were there, look, the Lamb of God. Now, whether John fully realized it or not, in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, he was alluding to part of Jesus' mission that would happen later, his laying down his life as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of all people. But somehow, it really impressed those two disciples that were there, and of their own initiative, they started following Jesus. So, you know, Jesus is walking along. Notice these two guys following him, turns around and says, what do you want? Now, in the English language, that phrase, what do you want, it can come across almost as kind of rude or just kind of like, wow, that's kind of, you know, blunt, what do you want? But in the original language, uh, what's closer to, to what he was saying is, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Think of the depth beyond that question. It, it kind of underlies this fact that the disciples were looking for something maybe that they didn't even fully realize. They were seeking something greater, something that would bring fulfillment or, or something that was missing into their lives. So it was a very penetrating question. What do you want or what are you seeking? Well, the two disciples respond, where are you staying? And Jesus invites them to come and see. You know, there's, there are very many aspects to the Jesus mission, but one thing is clear throughout Jesus' life, and that's our first point here today. Jesus made people a priority. He made people a priority. His life was never about things or comfort or power or pleasure. It was always about people. Jesus was deeply concerned about people, and he made it a priority to spend time with them. We see in this story that very thing, as he invites Andrew and this other disciple to come, and they spend the whole day with them. Wouldn't you just love to be part of that meeting with Jesus that day, to hear that conversation, to experience what it was like to be in the physical presence of Jesus? Well, you know what? It must have been powerful. It must have been an impactful day because Andrew immediately goes to his brother Simon, and he says, we found the Messiah. Well, Andrew was already convinced that Jesus was this long-awaited Messiah of whom the prophets had foretold. We've talked before about this messianic, um, this messianic expectation that existed in Israel at that time. There was a lot of people who believed that um, the Messiah was going to come and he was going to deliver them from the Roman oppression that they were undergoing. We know the Roman Empire they had control of Israel, and they were an oppressive government, and so there was a lot of people just believed that, you know, this Messiah was going to come who, who would deliver them, and that was Andrew's, prob probably his understanding of the Messiah. We found this one who is going to deliver us, who's going to save us from the Romans. Little did he know that this Messiah was going to do so much more than that, so much more that, that he imagined, but with the understanding he, he had, he said, we found the Messiah. Well, I'm sure that Simon was intrigued, and so he goes with Andrew to meet Jesus. So what does Jesus do when he sees Simon? It's not just the typical, shalom, Simon, how are you? No, Jesus goes straight to the heart. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Now, the language that was commonly spoken in Israel at that time was Aramaic, and Cephas in Aramaic means rock. And we know that his name's also called Peter 
And Peter is rock in Greek, which is the language that, of course, the New Testament was written in. So both Cephas and Peter mean rock. And we see other cases in the Bible when God renames someone, such as when he renamed Abram, Abraham, or Jacob, Israel. So we see Jesus taking this divine prerogative, this prerogative of God in renaming Simon a subtle indication of Jesus' deity that we see much more of throughout the, the Gospel of John. But I want you to think about this. When we look at Simon Peter in the Gospels, what we see is anything but a picture of a rock. We see this rough, impetuous man who was bold one minute and fearful the next. Remember when Jesus and the, uh, the disciples were in the boat and, and it was stormy and Jesus came walking on the water and they thought, thought it was a ghost and like, ah, oh, and they're all afraid and scared. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's I. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come and walk on the water. That was pretty bold, right? I don't know. I don't know. If I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have done that. I don't know how many of you would have done that either. But Peter, in his boldness, does that. But then we know what happens. He gets out, starts walking on the water, starts looking at the waves. He's like, what am I doing? And he starts sinking. He gives in to fear. So he's bold one minute, fearful the next. We see, we see another time where Peter... Peter is, and the disciples are there, and Jesus is teaching them, and, and Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And uh, his di disciples give him these various answers, but then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, that's been revealed to you by the Father. You know, it's not been revealed to you by man, it's been revealed to you by the Father in heaven. So he's like giving him a pat on the back saying, yeah, way to go, Simon, good job, way, way, to, way to say that. And then the very next thing we see in that passage is Jesus starts telling the disciples that he's, he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified and, and die and be raised again three days later. And then Peter takes him aside and says, no, 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 Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. That's, that doesn't fit my vision of the Messiah, okay? You're supposed to come and, and deliver us, right? That, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. And Jesus is like, get thee behind me, Satan. He realized that that, that was actually that thought that he would, could give into was actually inspired by Satan. So one minute, Peter is, you know, saying this great commendable thing that God's re revealed to him. The next minute, he's like basically representing Satan. Peter was not a rock. And then we finally see that, don't we, in right before Jesus w was going to, to be given to the cross and Jesus says, hey, all of you disciples, every one of you is going to, going to leave me. Every one of you is going to, going to run off in fear. And Simon stands up, no, not me. I'm never, I'll never betray you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, Simon, before the, the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, no, never, not going to happen. A few hours later, what does he do? He denies Jesus three times. Simon was not a rock. So why does Jesus call him a rock? Because Jesus had this ability to see in people not just what they were now, but what they could become. He saw in people more than what was on the surface. He had a way of seeing the best in people, even people who everyone else had marginalized or cast aside or they could not see anything good in, let alone anything great. Jesus saw beyond that exterior 
and he saw something that other people didn't see. You know, I doubt that any, anybody would have marked Peter as someone who would amount to anything more than a fisherman. But Jesus calls him a rock, someone who would become a rock for the early church to be built on. You know, Jesus still operates like this, doesn't he? He sees you and me not just for who we are right now, but for who we can become. There's a great story uh, from actor Bruce Marciano who portrayed Jesus in the visual Bible uh, movie, Matthew, and I don't know if any of you have ever seen it, but to me it's one of the best depictions of Jesus I've ever seen, and it really follows uh, Matthew basically word by word. But as he was preparing for that movie, he's actually a Christian, and as he, as he prepared, he says, I prayed before every scene, but for this particular scene, I prayed a very specific prayer. Lord, show me what it, what it all looks like through your eyes. I wasn't seeking an experience, but rather an understanding of his perspective on our broken world. Well, someone much wiser than I once said, be careful what you pray for because you're going to get it. And may I add that if I had any idea of the dynamic with which the Lord would answer that prayer, I would never have had the courage to pray it. I was praying and then suddenly in my heart, I felt a remarkable shock of pain, heartache like I never imagined heartache could be. It was so deeply traumatic, it knocked the wind out of me and I exploded in tears. Unable to regain composure, I wept for nearly an hour. And in the middle of it, I sensed the scripture rising in my understanding. He had compassion on them because they were, her, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Matthew 9:36. In the ways the Lord deals with me, I knew he was giving me a glimpse of a billionth of a billionth of his heartache over the lostness of his people. It was like a sea of his children living lives separated from him in ways he never planned for them. I remember the director came and asked if I was all right. I looked at him through my tears and said, it kills him, it just kills him. You know, if we could only see people through the eyes of Jesus, I think it would just blow us away. We see this exterior, this facade in people, and so, so often we think, you know, we'll think, oh, that person seems like they pretty much have their act together, or that seem person seems like a regular person, or yeah, they're just going their way, doing their thing. But I think if we could see people like Jesus would, we would see things like, I'm grieving deeply over the loss of my spouse who I just lost, or my son is has fallen away, he, he's out there, he's on drugs, and, and he I'm broken over this. Or, you know, I'm, I'm dealing, dealing with this loss in my life of my job, and it's just killing me because that was everything I put my heart and soul into, and I was shed like, like it was nothing, like I was just a piece of garbage, and that's what I feel like. If we could see through Jesus' eyes, it would just, I think, literally break our hearts, and we would we probably wouldn't be able to handle it. So it's probably good that we can't see to that level. But I think every one of us needs to ask for more of that perspective. God, give me more of your perspective. Help me to see people the way you see them. If I could just understand that, it would just transform my interactions with people. I think that's something that each one of us needs to pray for. But again... In this passage, we see that a key is that 
Jesus saw in people who they could become. Moving on in our text, we see that the next day, Jesus is planning on returning to Galilee. And so he found Philip, uh, with whom he probably had some previously contact, and he said to him, follow me. Well, not only does Philip follow him, but he also finds Nathanael and tells him about Jesus, saying, saying that Jesus was the one who Moses and the prophets had wrote about, again showing that he believed Jesus to be the Messiah. Now, there's something I want you to see here, and that is Jesus inspired people to follow him. Not only that, but he inspired people to invite other people to follow him. Now, Nathaniel was probably the, the disciple named Bartholomew in the other Gospels, and I'm not going to spend time going into all the reasons for that because we don't have time. But um, Nathaniel has this inter, in, interesting response to Philip when he tells him that they found this man, and, and Philip calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because Nazareth was his hometown. And Philip says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? You know, Nathaniel was from Cana, which was just a few miles from Nazareth. So he was obviously familiar with this town, and obviously he did not have a very high opinion of it. We don't know all the reasons for that. Um, the Bible doesn't really go into that. Maybe there were some things going on in, in Nazareth that were not great. Maybe the people were just seen as kind of backward or whatever. But whatever it was, he did not have a very high opinion of it. Kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, and uh, I, I was, went to high school in a town called Lake Stevens um, up in kind of northern part of Washington. And uh, there was a town near us called Granite Falls, well, they were kind of like our rival school, not kind of a rival, but we kind of looked down on them. We didn't, we didn't see them as being, you know, we saw them as kind of being backwards and more of the hicks or whatever. And so like one of our names for them was Garbage Falls instead of Granite Falls. I'm not proud of this, um, but, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes we get this opinion, you know, of, you know, a neighboring town or whatever, and we just are like, yeah, they're kind of backwards. They're, they're not kind of on it. And that was kind of the way that Nathaniel felt about Nazareth. He's like, could anything good come there? Well, Philip doesn't go on into a big debate with him. He just says, come and see. So Nathaniel's probably intrigued. He says, okay, let's go give it a shot. So he comes, he comes and uh, follows Philip to, to Jesus. And again, Jesus bypasses the standard greeting and goes, boom, straight to the heart of the matter. He says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. There's probably a play on words going on here because Jacob, um, whom God named Israel, literally meant to deceive. So, Je so Jesus is saying, here's an Israelite who has no deceit in him. Jesus sees Nathanael as a true Israelite, one who is genuine in his pursuit of God and not given to falsehoods. Well, clearly Jesus nailed it because Nathanael replies, how do you know me? Then Jesus told him something that only someone with supernatural knowledge would know. He says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, Nathaniel immediately recognized that there was supernatural knowledge going on here, and he, like Andrew and Philip, expressed his belief in Jesus that he must be the Messiah. He says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. The son of God and the king of Israel were popular names for the expected Messiah at this time. So wrapping up our passage, Jesus replies to Philip, or to Nathaniel, and, and here's my paraphrase. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? 
You ain't seen nothing yet. He has, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So he was telling Nathaniel and probably the other disciples that were there that they were going to see the literal supernatural work of God through his ministry. Again, from this passage though, I want you to see that key point. Jesus inspired people to follow him and that also inspired them to bring other people to Jesus. So obviously there was something powerful about Jesus in his life. These, these men, it's like, boom, within minutes of, or even seconds of encountering Jesus, they were like, this is the Messiah. This is the one who, who, is, who has come. He's the king of Israel. There was something powerful about him that inspired people to follow him. And they got so pumped up and excited about it. They were like, man, I got to go tell somebody else about this and bring them to Jesus. Well, let's bring this down to our lives and where it applies to us today. We've seen these three key elements of Jesus' mission. He made people a priority. He saw in people who they could become, and he inspired people to follow him. So how does this work out in our lives? Well, one thing we need to realize is Jesus' mission is our mission, right? His mission that he came to do, he, he conferred that mission onto us. So number one is we need to make people a priority. We saw that Jesus was all about people. He wasn't concerned about position, power, material things. He had this singular focus, encouraging people, engaging in relationship with them, and bringing transformation into their lives. You know, we can definitely take a cue from Jesus here, right? Make people a priority. It's so easy to get caught up in our career, our goals, our positions, money, stuff, just entertaining ourselves. But Jesus showed us the way. It's all about people. At the end of your life, when you get to the very end of your life, you know what's going to matter? What's going to matter is the quality of the relationships you had and your impact on those people you had relationship with. That's what's going to matter at the end of your life. All the other stuff, you're going to say, why did I waste so much time with that? Why was I even concerned about those things? The material things, the career, the power, they're not going to mean much when you're facing eternity. It's going to be all about people. So each one of us should examine our lives and ask ourselves, are people a priority in my life? Is my life about engaging with people and with Jesus' help, making an impact on the people I have relationship with? If not, I encourage you to consider how you can make adjustments in your life to make people a priority. You know, as always, when I speak, I'm speaking to myself here. Um, it's been shown that, you know, people tend to have either a task orientation or a people orientation. In other words, they're very much into doing tasks and getting things done, or they're very concerned with people and relationships. And I've got to admit that I tend to fall on the task side of things naturally. So I have, to, I have to really make it a point in myself to be a people person, to reach out to people, to engage with people, um, because it's not my natural tendency. And, but you know what? God doesn't excuse us in that, in that task. He, he's, he, he doesn't say, well, you're a task person, and it's all right. You don't have to engage with people. Don't worry about it. No. It's all of our job to engage with people, whether it's our natural bent or not. So... Make adjustments in your life to make people a priority. Number two is see in people who they can become. 
we saw that Jesus saw and called out the best in people. We saw it in his, in his interaction with Peter and in his interaction with, with Nathaniel. Jesus was not only looking at them as they were, but as they could become. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't speak truth to people. At times, he was very direct in confronting sinful attitudes and lifestyles. But Jesus definitely saw and called out the best in those whom he had a relationship with. So, here again, we take our cue from Jesus. Rather than seeing people solely as they are now, we always want to have Jesus' eyes, right? We always want to see others as they can become. You know, as parents, we're, we're often able to do this with our children. We, we know that they're, you know, they're just starting to get it. They're trying to learn. They're trying to figure out how to make their way in life. So we have a lot of patience with them. We tend to give them a lot of latitude when, when we love our kids. But do we extend that same grace to others? When we do, it can be a transformative influence with those in whom we come in contact. When we show them grace, we show them mercy, when we see them through Jesus' eyes. There's a story of this young boy who was playing with his playmate, and he said, wouldn't you hate to wear glasses all the time? No, came the answer, not if I had some like my grandma's. She always sees when people are tired or sad, and she knows just what to do to make them feel better. One day, I asked her how she could see that way all the time. She told me it was the way she learned to look at things as she grew older. After thinking for a minute, the first boy concluded, yeah, I guess you're right. It must be your glasses. <laughs> if only we had those magic glasses that could help us to see people through Jesus' eyes. But I... I think it's something that we can pray for, right? Something that we can continue to pray. God, develop in me that, that ability to see other people through your eyes, to see them not just as they are, but who they can become. Three is follow Jesus. A crucial part of Jesus' mission was inviting people to follow him, and he's still calling today. Two of the most powerful words Jesus ever said were, follow me, follow me. And Jesus is saying those same words to each one of us. I want you to notice two things about following Jesus from our text. First is, people come to follow Jesus in different ways. Everybody doesn't have the same experience. Of those five disciples in the text, two came from, the, from hearing a preacher, John the Baptist, talk about Jesus. When they heard him say, look, the Lamb of God, and they, they, they saw what happened in, in his, when he was baptized, they were like, you know, there's something to this. I, I need to follow this guy. And so they started following him. Then we see that two of the other disciples came because somebody else invited them to come, right? So two, Peter, both Peter and Nathaniel came because Andrew and Philip invited them to come see Jesus. And then we see in Philip's case, it was a direct call from God. It was Jesus coming to him and saying, follow me. So people come to Jesus in all these different ways. And that's okay. But the key is, whatever way Jesus is calling to you, he's saying those words, follow me. The second thing I want you to see is that following Jesus means spending time with Jesus. After Andrew and John initially followed Jesus, he invited them to spend the day with him, right? Jesus is always extending that same invitation to us. Follow me. Spend some time with me. Learn from me. You know, that happens through prayer. Not just a prayer in which we do all the talking, but a prayer in which we're creating space for God to talk through us. So part of our prayer time needs to be just sitting still before God and saying, God, what do you want to say to me? 
is there anything you want to say? I've been kind of blown away myself that when I have created time to do that, so often I hear Jesus speaking to me. Very often it's words like, I love you so much. You don't even understand how much I love you, Jeff. And sometimes it's words like, just, just step back and, and just watch and see what I'm going to do. You're going to be blown away by the things that are going to happen. I hear those things when I create space to listen to him. But when I'm saying all the words, when I'm talking all the time in the prayer, I don't hear God because I'm doing all the talking. So part of following Jesus is spending time with him and creating space to listen to him. The last thing is connect people with Jesus. Both Andrew and Philip were so excited about encountering Jesus, and they so believed that he was Messiah that they couldn't help themselves. They had to go, and they had to tell someone else about him. And both of them brought the person they told directly to Jesus. Why, I wonder, do we so often not have that same zeal and excitement to tell others about Jesus? Maybe it's because so often we fail in those other three things we just talked about. We don't make a people a priority. Instead, we become focused on things, our careers, our you know, other stuff that's going on around us. So people fall down the list on our priorities. Or maybe it's because we fail to see others for who they, be, be, they could become. We see them only as they are. We think, ah, that person surely has no interest in spiritual things. Listen to their mouth. I mean, they're, they're about as far from Jesus as, as it can get. They don't want to hear me tell them anything about Jesus. But isn't that seeing them for who they are, not for who they can become? Yes, they are far from God, but maybe they're just waiting for the right invitation from someone who actually believes that Jesus has the power to transform lives. Or maybe we fail in the area of following Jesus. We followed him in a sense but we haven't really spent time with Jesus. Because when we spend time with Jesus, when we are there in his presence, there's something about that that explodes into something contagious in our lives, something that other people want, something that other people see. So it's really critical that if we want to make a difference in other people's lives, we're spending time with Jesus. I believe that when we prior prioritize people, when we see them for who they can become and spend time truly following after Jesus, we're going to have an impact on the people we encounter. We'll find that we are so much more excited to tell them about Jesus, to invite them in a relationship with him, to connect with him. So wrapping this up, the big idea, the mission of Jesus was people. That was what it was all about. And that's what it should be all about for us. On the screen, there's going to be some application points here. These are just some possible ways where you might apply something from this message to your actual life. Maybe, maybe God is saying to you, hey, carve out some time this week just to be with someone who needs Jesus. And, may, and not, maybe it's not even telling them or talking about it at all. It's just spending time with them, beginning to build a relationship with them. That's how it starts. That's how we have the permission to speak into people's lives. Maybe saying, make the choice to see in those around you who they can become. So maybe it's just this week you're saying, you know what? Every day, that's how I'm going to start my day thinking, God, help me to see people through your eyes. Help me to see people through your eyes. See them for who they can become. Or maybe it's spending some quality time in prayer this week. Just 
creating some space to hear God. Maybe it's having a spiritual conversation with someone who needs Jesus. Those are just some ideas of how you could apply this message. And I encourage you on your sheet at the, at the bottom, your outline there, there's a place for you to write down uh, one of those application points, to just write down something that you feel God impressing you right now to do. I know the easiest thing for you right now is going to be to sit there and say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to write anything down because I don't feel like it. Well, you certainly have that prerogative, but I would pray that you'll open yourself right, right now and say, God, is there one of these things you want me to do this week? Is there some way you want me to apply this message in a practical way this week? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's this memorable story from the 2004 tsunami about this woman and her family. She had a husband and two children. They were vacationing on that day when they realized there was danger. People were panicking. They didn't know what to do or where to go. They began to move with the crowd when she and her husband saw a young native man beckoning to them to follow him. The choice was follow the crowd or follow this young man. It was a crucial life-determining decision. What should they do? She said quickly to her husband, whatever you decide, we will all do. We live or die together. He decided to follow the young man, and the young man led them to higher ground and to safety, and they survived the tsunami. You know, that's what Jesus is doing to each one of us. He's calling out to us, follow me. He knows the way to higher ground. He knows the way to a better place in life. And he's calling to us, follow me. And right now, he's wanting each one of us to respond in some way. Maybe the invitation to follow him for you today is to do one of those action points that we talked about. Or maybe you're at a place in your life, you're just like, I'm not in any way following Jesus right now. I'm just kind of serving myself, doing my thing. And I just feel this gripping in my heart right now that's saying, follow me. Jesus reaching out, follow me. If that's you and you're saying, I need Jesus today. I'm, I'm not where I, I should be with God. Either I was serving him and I've just kind of fallen away and I, I'm not where I should be or maybe I've just never had a relationship with God if that's you man a relationship with Jesus is the best thing that you could have in your life and if you follow him it'll be the best decision that you ever have made if that's you as everybody's still just closing their eyes and just praying right now if you're saying I need to follow Jesus today I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. I just want to pray that God will, will do that, that he will come into your life right now and be there with you. Is there anyone who's just saying, I want to follow Jesus today? Raise your hand right now. Okay. Anyone else? Awesome. Lord God, I just thank you so much, God, for uh, this this one God who just raised their hand saying, I want to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm not uh, where I want to be with him. Lord, I just pray right now, God, that you will come down and meet this person, come into this person's life, God. Draw them to you. 
why don't we, let's all say this prayer together just to uh, support this person who's just made this decision to follow Jesus right now. If you'll just say these words uh, together with me, it's good to just say this prayer from time to time anyway for all of us to do it. Dear Father, I come to you right now and I say to you, I need you. God, I know that there's sin in my life and I ask you to take it all away, to clean my heart, make me brand new inside. I want to follow you with all my heart. I want to be your child. Thank you, Lord, for being in my life today. And everybody says, amen, amen. You know what? The greatest thing that any of us can have is a relationship with Jesus. Let's all, all remember Jesus' mission is all about people. It's all about people. And I encourage you this week as you go out, be a transformative impact in your world. Go out and make a difference in people's lives. Look for the good. Look for the very best. Look for what they can become, who they can become. And God is going to make a difference in your life this week. Love you guys. Have a great week, North Lake Church. I'd love to talk with any of you after, after we're done here. So you're released. Have a fantastic day.